Do you find that you do your best work when you're at home in your own space? Or is it like when you're out traveling, gathering inspiration from your travels? Kind of when I'm out traveling, actually, yeah. The past few years of not having a, a proper studio space has, has made me realize you don't need much, you know. I've made some great records just with a laptop and headphones, some great mixed downs. Um, but the studio is like, it's a nice bonus. You know, it's good to have a dedicated space, like to feel like you're at work as yeah. well. You know, but it's inspirational being on the road. Welcome to Elevated Frequencies, the show that gives you access to the next level of house and techno so you can explore an elevated lifestyle. I had the pleasure of interviewing Josh Butler right after I saw him play a show for House Calls at the Listening Room. It was absolutely incredible. One of the best shows I've ever been to. Now, if you know anything about producing or making music or you make music yourself, you know that Josh Butler is an absolute master at his craft which is why I think some parts of this interview, particularly about how he makes music, are going to pleasantly surprise you and probably inspire you. Josh, thanks so much for joining me. It's so nice to talk to you. Good to be here. Thank you. I just saw you in Chicago last weekend, and that was a treat. <laughs> Did you have fun, yeah? It was so much fun. It was very hot in there. I didn't know it was going to be so hot. Yeah, I was sweating. I probably should have worn shorts in hindsight. Yeah, that's that's what I thought too, because I, I saw the forecast. I'm like, oh, it's going to be comfortable. But, you know, it's just a testament to the fact that everyone was dancing, having a good time. Oh my God, it was packed as well. Such a good vibe in there, wasn't it? It was. And I have to, I have to tell you a funny story. So this has never happened to me before in my adult life. I like to think that I'm pretty smart, have my <laughs> wits about me, but okay. So a year ago you came to spy bar, right? Like kind of around the same time. It was like late June, early July. Yeah, for sure. And I was talking to my friend who works there and I said, oh my God, I'm so excited to see Josh Butler. I've never seen him. Like I, I cannot wait for this show. And he goes, oh, you know what? I'll just, I'll list you. No problem. I said, you, you would do that for me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So it's the day of the show. And uh, we were actually at like a third eyed blind concert earlier. Okay. And then we were planning to see you after. Okay. And my friend texts me and he goes, I'm so sorry. The show is sold out and I can't list you guys anymore. We're like at capacity. I go, shit. Okay. So I'm at a concert, so I'm not paying attention and I'm looking online to see if anybody is selling tickets. Long story short for the first and hopefully only time in my life, we got scammed. No way. What do you mean? How? So, so you know, have you ever seen on social media where people will be like, Oh, DM me. I have four tickets or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so you bought some tickets like you found some online, kind of. Mm-hmm, that weren't actually tickets. Oh, yep. That's heavy. Yep. That. So seeing your show last weekend was like the best redemption arc I could have ever Oh, my God. For. Well, you should have just DM'd me on, on Instagram. I would have sorted you out guest list anyway. I appreciate <laughs> it. You know, it's all water under the bridge. It's just my husband looked at me. He goes, are you serious, Olivia? He's like, you really fell for that? How much did you pay for them? I think it was like maybe 80 bucks. 
Fuck. So I know, not not the worst thing in the world, but it was honestly, it was an ego bruise more than anything else. Because I'm I'm like, how did I fall for that? I'm 30 years old. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah, see, sometimes underneath my post on Instagram, like, yeah, four tickets for sale for the show. I'm like, that. What what show though? Like you've not right. Post wasn't even about a show. I I know I know <laughs> they're they're those scammers are relentless, relentless and and they got me. I feel like I feel like if you go to these types of shows, eventually you're gonna you're gonna get got. But yeah. like I said, water under the bridge. I'm so happy we got to see you last weekend. It was Same. phenomenal. I'm so so enjoyed it. So you've you've really been busy this summer, right? You've just been touring yeah, nonstop. Yeah. Especially the past like six weeks, it's, yeah, it's been nonstop. But I'm finally home, chilling now. Um, well, I say chilling. <laughs> I'm in a routine, but before leaving, I started rebuilding my studio. So um, I'm in the middle of like quite a big project, throwing up drywall and fucking soundproofing, all of that. Nice. It's been really fun, though, actually. I've been loving it. That does sound fun because you can really tailor it to like your needs and, and how you like it. So that's, that's in your home where you live. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's, what sparked that project? Well, my studio used to be in an external unit, you know, n- near the town. Mm-hmm. But yeah. When COVID happened and they were saying like, you can't travel anywhere. I was like, cool. I'm going to bring the whole studio back, but it's sort of been in boxes since to be honest. And uh, I've not had the space to, um, to set everything up. So finally, I'm going to get all my old hardware back. And, um, yeah, I've managed to work in the box for a while, you know, just yeah. on the laptop and stuff. But it's time to get everything wired up again. Is that where you feel like you – because, well, let me take a step back. I, I read that you actually produced before you DJed. Is that correct? Yeah. So do you find that you do your best work when you're at home in your own space or – is it like when you're out traveling, gathering inspiration from your travels? It's kind of when I'm out traveling, actually, yeah. The past few years of not having a, a proper studio space has, has made me realize you don't need much, you know. I've made some great records just with a laptop and headphones, some great mixed downs. Um, but the studio is like, it's a nice bonus. You know, it's good to have a dedicated space, like to feel like you're at work as yeah. well. You know, it's inspirational being on the road, but in terms of like finishing records, it's nice to have a space that you're familiar with. Absolutely. And, and especially working from home, like you said, that dedicated space where, you know, this room is where I go to work because like I work from home and I feel like I can find myself kind of wandering in between my office and, you know, just like, oh, there's laundry to do or my dog's right there. So sometimes you kind of need that space to just like be able to in. completely focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I saw you tweeted recently too. You kind of talked about how you've been finding your balance in your career where you're not doing 16, 17 gigs a month and you're trying to kind of prioritize your rest as well. 100%. And does that come with age or does that is that just like you've been doing it for so long you're, you don't want to burn out? Well, it's a bit of both, yeah. Uh, like last year, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, even both, both of the years anyway, I've done long extended tours in the States without coming home, like six weeks at a time. And um, it's a bit much, you know, to be away all that time. So yeah, this year just reshifting it. And I've still done a lot of gigs in the States, but I've been home in between and 
yeah, just rested more and be conscious of health. It's important. You can't keep making amazing tracks if you're burned out. Cause I mean, even, you know, the physical burnout is one thing, but the mental burnout from just, you know, constantly being on the go and being in, in busy environments, I have, I have to imagine that can be taxing just on your creative process. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, like not even just being in, in busy environments, it's the traveling actually. Like, I don't know if you, you saw any of my updates, but getting to Chicago was a fucking nightmare. Like it was that close me even making it. I, uh, it was like 7am. I flew from Manchester to Heathrow. Well, I was at Manchester at like 5am. Got to Heathrow and had to sprint through the airport because my first flight was delayed only to find out that I'd missed the connection. <laughs> so then I had to fly via Washington and that flight was delayed as well. So it was another sprint through the airport. I was dripping with sweat by this point. Um, it was insane. Yeah. And then it's pretty much like to get to Chicago, have dinner, go to the club and then yeah, a few hours sleep. I know I was, I was, I was watching your updates and I was like, I, he, I looked like more towards like 10 o'clock. I was like, okay, he hasn't posted anything, which means he didn't cancel. He's, he's going to make it. I was really crossing my fingers. I was determined to make it. Yeah. And I feel like it's so stressful now because flights everywhere are delayed. I feel like the travel industry right now is just in shambles. So I can't imagine how stressful that is. And were you traveling solo? Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. That's, solo. that's even worse. Yeah. It was heavy. Um, but I think it's, it's made me realize I need to shift the itinerary slightly on, a, you know, like the schedules we were on before as DJs and anyone touring in the entertainment industry, comedians or whatever. You probably have to spend or fly in the day early and spend an extra night there just in case because it just alleviates a lot of stress. 100%. But it's tough because when you have a packed schedule, if you're doing a lot of gigs, I mean, it's tough to bake in that extra time. Um, but that's just kind of the nature of, of how things are now. It is. Yeah, I think especially for the international flight, I could probably fly out the Thursday, then do the show Friday. And it's not like there's, you know, there's worse places you could be than being in Chicago for an extra day. It's, it's a it. pretty fun place to be. Oh, my God. The guys that I was with, like they were telling me about the jazz scene there and some of the, the smaller community house nights that go on. It's, it sounds like it's well worth spending some more time there. Definitely. So I know that um, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you spent was it either part of like growing up in New Zealand or you lived in New Zealand for a while? Yeah. So uh, when I was 13, uh, my parents decided they wanted to move to New Zealand. So, um, yeah, as a family, four of us, we moved over to uh, a little town in the north of like the near, near the very top of the country, actually, um, which was great. At, at first, I, I wasn't sure on the idea. I was like, I don't know, I've got all my mates in the UK, you know what I mean? But in hindsight, it was the best upbringing ever. You know, it was very like natural, wholesome. <laughs> yeah, outdoors. Wholesome. Well, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so talk to me about how, if in any way, that kind of shaped your music career, because obviously London and the UK has a rich history of, you know, house music and its roots, but I can imagine having that more wholesome outdoor upbringing probably had some influence as well. 
Well, actually, the, I think the I think in terms of inspiration, it probably didn't have any effect. Um, I don't know. It's New Zealand's not the place to go to make music career. Let's put it that way. Um, it would have been easier being in the UK, hundred percent. And I eventually did move back to the UK to start things off like professionally. But in terms of like having time to uh, to because I didn't have any friends at first, you know, it takes a a while to get into a a groove of a new school and stuff. Um, I was just making beats on my computer a lot more than I was when I was in the UK. So I, I learned a lot in terms of self-teaching uh, music production. Uh, but I was always tapped into like the, the UK radio stations and the, the music scene over here. Yeah, well, it sounds like, you know, sometimes in isolation, that's when the creative process can flourish because you have no choice but to bloom. Um you know, I, I started my, I used to be a TV reporter and I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a place called Iowa. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I had to live there for a while and there's not much going on there. And, you know, it kind of forced me to get really good at what I do because there was nothing to do on the weekends. There was nowhere to go unless you wanted to hang out in some cornfields well, it so sounds kind of like the same that. thing. That's where, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I really focused on my craft. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think I did. I did teach myself a lot in that time. I had time to trial and error and experiment with different pieces of software, um, and that's that's really where it, where it came from. But when it was time to, you know, make a career of something, I was like, "Cool, I'm going to go back to the UK and try and get it moving." Here we are. <laughs> so when you move when you move back to the UK, is that when you started DJing or or did that come later? Kind of. I mean I was DJing in my bedroom and stuff when I was living over there. Um and at, at like friends' parties and stuff. Maybe like school school disco type things. <laughs> you know, it was when I moved back to the UK, I you know, got into nightclubs and started to meet people who were working in that, you know, more serious side of the scene. Absolutely. And you have, I know you have Origins Records. Is that, you have another label now too, right? But that was your first. No, no. Origins is the, is the only one. I've toyed with the idea is of starting a second, but yeah, it's not, I don't think it's going to happen just yet anyway. Talk to me about how Origins started and why you decided to go, because a lot of the artists I talk to, they say that's the ultimate goal, to have their own label so they don't have you know, the chains and constraints on them of what being signed to another label entails. Yeah, that is a huge benefit of it. Um, at the time, that wasn't such a motivating factor for me, um, it, but it's definitely been an, an amazing part of having the label. But the reason it started is, is actually kind of, Chicago is kind of involved in that because I was getting to know people like Marshall Jefferson and uh, Robert Owens and, you know, some of the legends of the, the originators of house music, you know, Kerry Chandler. Um, so a lot of these guys were seen on the road here and there. And then we started to make records together and basically had like, you know, six tracks or something sat there with, with these legends of house music. So that's kind of what kicked off the idea for the label was bridging the gap of generations between house music, you know, because some of their fans didn't know me and some of my fans didn't know them. And I thought it was, it's kind of a, an, 
a history lesson in a way as well, the idea behind Origins. That's really amazing that you, like you said, got to bridge that gap and give a history lesson to people who don't know that Marshall Jefferson is literally one of the founders of house music. So how, how did that happen? How did you find each other? Well, it turns out Marshall actually lived in Manchester at the time. I think he still might. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't seen him for a few years, but um, yeah, a mutual friend of ours told me, oh, you know, Marshall Jefferson's living like up the road from you. You should, um, you should cook up with him and see what you can do. So we actually started going for pizza first. We were going for pizza for weeks, <laughs> uh, two for one pizzas on Wednesday and and just like talking about house music and and all that stuff he was telling me some amazing stories from tracks records and chicago back in the day and then uh yeah we we actually got hold of a really amazing studio in a place called Alderley Edge which is like quite quite a wealthy area of cheshire and this this studio is a multi-million pound studio in in an old stately home and we got access to this place and we went in there and made a track called In Time. So um, that is, that's how the thing came together with me and Marshall, basically. Yeah, it was just randomly living up the road from me. That's so, that's so cool. And that's what I think is so special about this type of music is I feel like it's so much easier to connect with other artists and just, just cross those bridges. Um, I have a tracks record CD or it's like a double decker CD somewhere in my closet. Actually, it's very, it's a source of pride being from Chicago to, you know, just, just to celebrate that fact. Yeah. Um, and, and in a lot of your music, you incorporate those elements of the early days of house music. There's a lot of, you know, uh, and, and forgive me for not knowing the technical terms, but the vocals just bring me back to, you know, the feeling of disco, the feeling of, you know, uh, fun warehouse parties back in the day. Was that always like kind of your sound from the get go or was that inspired by working with house music legends like Marshall? The vocals thing has always been there for me, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it's my, my sounds probably become a little bit more like New York influenced and New Jersey was, it was a big sound for me. Um, but I mean, yeah, anything with with soul. I think the earlier generations of house music had a lot more soul and natural elements. You know, you listen to like Frankie Knuckles records; they've got big string sections and choirs and stuff. So, yeah, I try and blend a little bit of that in, and um, yeah, not move things forward too far in terms of it being like futuristic, techy. You know, too techy, but yeah, just sprinkle a, a bit of both in the in the mix. Yeah, well, but then you have songs like Bass Play, which I have to say, and I don't want to embarrass you, and I've never said this to a guest before, but that is literally my favorite fucking song in the world. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I just had to, I had to tell you, I can't I it it is so so my my brother is a DJ as well and he was the one who also got scammed on the tickets with me when we were supposed to see you last year. And him and I have gotten into like deep, deep conversations about that song. Oh, wow. True. It, I'm so intrigued. Yes, it is. It is just, 
What? Sorry, I didn't hear you. What did you say? I said I'm so intrigued about the the deep conversations about that track because it wasn't that deep okay. to make it. Really? <laughs> no, it's, that one was made quite quickly. No way. That's yeah. what's so funny about music. It, w- one track can mean something different to everybody who listens to it and affects everyone in a different way. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of that track is the congas and the the reverb on the congas. I don't know if you know what any of this means, but <laughs> I actually use that same I do. Te- I do. Yeah, yeah. Use that same technique on a few tracks of of that period of my career. When when was that song released? That track. I think that was probably 2011, I want to say or 12. Because Got A Feeling, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was pre-Got A Feeling, which was kind of what took my career to the next level, you know. That was really what started getting me, like, lots of gigs and international gigs. Whereas bass play kind of put me into the sphere of people's, like, you know, music. It was on Beatport. It did well on Beatport and stuff like that, but I wasn't actually getting any gigs from it. Wow. See, well, that's, like I said, that's the magic of, of this music is, is, you know, certain songs just affect people in different ways. And I think, I don't know if I've had it on my, in my library since 2011, but it's definitely one of like the first in my Spotify library, whenever I, you know, got Spotify. So I'm, I'm happy I got to share that with you because, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing track. Thank you so much. I'm actually going to Google it now and see when it was released. It was October 2012. Wow. Okay. Quite a while so ago. I was in uh, I was in college still when it came out, and I think I heard it right after I graduated. So that makes sense. See, I didn't realize that house music, especially this that this sort of like European influenced dance music, was reaching the states at that point because obviously it was invented there. But I feel like there was a big period of. Um, you know, not very tasteful house music, let's put it that way. Yeah, it, there was, so I, I talk about this all the time. Like my relationship with dance music started with like my parents, uh, you know, playing nineties and eighties type house. Then I got into Euro dance and hard style, which is embarrassing to admit. Yeah, my brother um, was so and then when, yeah, yeah. And then when EDM became a thing in the States, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. That's when I fell off because I didn't like it very much. I, I didn't understand it. And then I think it wasn't really until, geez, 20, 2015, 2016, it started to get reintroduced. And, and, that's, and it's crazy. That timeline is, is almost perfect to, to my knowledge as well. Yeah. And it's crazy because now it's just exploding in in the States and a lot more people are being introduced to the music. I think thanks to TikTok and Instagram, um, it's just, it's just very interesting to see new people discover it for the first time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really cool. The the States is, is definitely having a moment, you know, right now. And it's, it's amazing to be part of it as well. You know, I'm literally being I'm right in the middle of it all, which is very, very cool. I had some wicked gigs on this last tour. I saw. So tell me what you have going on for the rest of the summer. So doing uh, El Row in Ibiza. I've got a couple of trips to Ibiza planned. 
Um, I'm in Poland next week for a festival. Um, oh, there's, there's loads of stuff going on. Um, yeah, a few UK shows. And then at the end of the year, I'll be going back to New Zealand and Australia. And um, actually, we just announced it yesterday that I'm going to be touring with Carl Cox around New Zealand for five shows. That's incredible. So you're going to have to find time to rest in between all of that. That's it. Well, yeah, it's kind of every other weekend that I'm DJing until mid-November now. So that's a, that's a nice balance for me. Yeah, amazing. And can I ask you before before we wrap up, because because your production level is so incredible and I know so many people, my brother included, he's going to be very embarrassed <laughs> that I'm including him in this in this bit. But do you have any advice that you can leave for, you know, new and aspiring producers based on your experience in this career so far? Yeah, I think it's the best advice is stick to your own sound and, and what you what you want to be promoting and um, use your influences from other people's music to find your own blend of certain styles. You know, like we were talking about with my influence from early house stuff with the, the more soulful side of things. But I'm also influenced a lot by dub reggae and drum and bass and um, UK rave music. So there's bits of everything thrown in there. And it was, it was a long process to figure out how to combine these things, but that's the best advice is put the time in to find your unique style. Well, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. It was a pleasure to speak to you and, and a treat to see you in Chicago last weekend. Thank you so much. I'm glad you made it out. So Josh said that some of his best tracks were made with just a laptop and headphones. Now, this is going to be me inserting my opinion a little bit, a little bit of conjecture, but it really made me think about how so many people feel like they need to have all this fancy equipment or need to do all these things or reach a certain level of status before they pursue a project or a hobby or a new skill. They think, oh, well, you know, I can't become a master chef until I buy the highest quality of nonstick pans. And it's a bunch of bullshit, right? Those are just mental roadblocks that you set up for yourself and contingencies you place on starting something new because you're scared, plain and simple. Now, I don't know if that's the case for Josh, right? I'm just saying that that made me think of this thing, but take it from somebody who genuinely is a master at music production. He makes some of his best tracks with just a laptop and headphones. So what are you waiting for? I don't know. As always, if you like this episode, the best way to support the show is to subscribe here on YouTube. Also give me a follow on wherever you are on social media. I am there too. And let me know if you like the show. I always love to hear from you. I'll see you next week. 